quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So there I was. This is episode number 67, entitled Blanco Lirio. White Lily. There you go. With our friend Juan Brown from the Blanco Lirio channel. Sponsor this week is Robin's Bird Brain Designs. Juan joined us from the West Coast. He is quite the eclectic aviator. Started off in light civils. Bought his own airplane at 15 years old. Man, that's motivation. He is a very he is a very yeah. interesting aviator and has great stories. And what Absolutely. a what a background. What a background what, full of experience. Went and got his airframe and power plant license from the FAA, making him a certified FAA mechanic. He's a wide body captain at a major airline. He has a YouTube channel called, oddly enough, Blanco Lirio. B-L-A-N-C-O-L-I-R-I-O. If you're interested in aviation incidents. He has spot-on analysis, and he gets it out pretty quickly. Yeah. My favorite was uh, the show opener. Where did he find himself? <laughs> yeah, inverted in a flat spin in a pit special with no spin training. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> and thanks also to our compadre and helper and fellow aviator, fellow naval aviator, Sticks. Yeah, thanks, Thank you, sir, thanks. for reaching out to Juan and, and inviting him on the show. Nice job. You are more than welcome. And I just refer to myself as your humble administrative assistant. Well, let's go with that. Sticks, <laughs> Sticks is like the best autopilot ever. He's just in the background working his ass off. You never know I he's try. there, you right. know, because he's so good. And he's the guy to write to if you've got questions about those absolutely flying machines that try to tear themselves apart while flying. Gyrating death traps. We want your questions. We definitely we want questions. Also, if you have an interest in aviation, we want your questions about how to get started because we're going to be working on an episode where we're going to bring in uh, some expert aviators and put those questions to them. That's going to be a good one. That'll be a good one. Yeah, it is. We were hoping to do that for 75, but that is sneaking up on us very quickly. That may not be 75, but we'll we'll do our best. So how would someone send you a question there, Sticks? So you can reach me at sticks at so there I was dot US. And if you want an expert answer, then write the fig at so there I was dot US. <laughs> and if you want an idiot answer, write to me, repeat, R-E-P-E-T-E. I can't even spell it right. At so there I was dot us. Well, you got hey, uh, yeah. Well, hey, thanks to uh, our new supporter patron pilot this week, Steve Bates. Call sign. Call sign master. Had to do it to you, sir. <laughs> Shouldn't have told us your last name if you didn't want it. <laughs> so, sorry, master. Yeah. Thanks to Brad Silcott at BDS, Bravo Delta Sierra, aviationphotography.com. Boy, those are some amazing shots. Go look at those sometime. He has a page on Facebook as well. Unbelievable aviation photography. So thank you very much for allowing us to use some of your work on our website to make it look prettier. And see what else? We got the merch store. What can you get at the merch store? A bikini. You can get a bikini for your yeah. wife and your girlfriend. Just don't let them meet. Don't let them meet. Yeah. I got a search and rescue story that uh, will fit that. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll do that in that an episode. Is, that's another episode. Soon. All right. Absolutely. Very soon. And let's see what else. Uh, glossary. 
So there it was, .us slash glossary. And tell us if you've got a term you've heard that we didn't get up there, so we know what that is. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, please. Go there. Give us five stars. Even if you hate the show, just give us five stars anyway. You know, no, what's, what's a few stars among friends? And share the show. Share the show with your friends, man. Please put an episode, your favorite episode of this show, up on Facebook so other people will hear it, see it, and go, oh, what's this about? That's how we're growing. And we are growing. So you are sharing it. Keep doing it. Yeah, it's so, awesome. Thank you for doing that. I don't know. Let's get out of the way and listen to Juan Brown. Any sage advice for our listeners before next week? Come on, Sticks. We know you got it. Don't let go of the collective story. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a given. You know, yeah. at night, don't sit on the, the ejection seat. Don't sit on the ejection seat. On the tanker. Hey, here comes water. Through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was. Crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly... <laughs> well, there I was in an inverted flat spin in a pit special with no formal training. Terrifying. That, that is terrifying. And welcome to So There I Was. And that is how all terrifying aviation stories start. This That's is right. Fig, and we have a special guest with us today. But where are you today, my cohort? Repeat. I am in New Hampshire for a few more hours, then down to recurrent training, repeat here, and we are thrilled and honored to have with us today Juan Brown of the Blanco Lirio channel on YouTube. And if you're at all interested in aviation, aviation safety, man, that's the place to go, because I'll tell you what, he just boils it right down in a nutshell quickly and has extremely good analysis. So thank you for joining us, sir. We're honored. Yeah, Juan. Welcome hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you very cool. So giant following on YouTube. Giant. You some you sometimes wonder you make these videos here in the house and you wonder, is anybody listening out there listening? And then you go to an air show or something and then you meet the people and you go, Oh man, <laughs> there's a lot of people watching. That's pretty awesome. That's so how how did that all come about? The Blanco Lirio channel. So I started goofing around on YouTube uh, not long after it was invented. Uh and I wanted to do motorcycle videos and that sort of thing. And so I figured I better be anonymous uh, because of my line of work uh, as sure. a commercial airline pilot. So I'll just jump on my wife's YouTube channel, Blanco Lirio. Jenny, she's from Spain. She just made that name up late one night, Blanco Lirio. And I started posting on there. Before you knew it, it was too late to change it. <laughs> I don't know how to change it. And now it's a thing that people look for. So that's how the, the channel got its name. So it's all really Jenny's channel. <laughs> that's well, I right. love it. Perfect. And it is the translation is White Lily, I believe. Yep. Yep. And she just, she just made that up. So uh, goofing around on YouTube for years with motorcycle stuff and little GoPros and then uh, and doing some local press coverage for our local newspaper. Mom was a freelance writer. Dad was an aerospace engineer and, and I'm an airline pilot. So you put those three together, you kind of get the uh, idea of what the channel, how, how it works. Um, so then uh, in February of 2017, the spillway failed here in Oroville in rather dramatic fashion and caused a very chaotic and scary uh, emergency evacuation of tens of thousands of people uh, downstream from the Oroville 
dam. And so I hopped up in my little Luscom at the time in a GoPro camera and flew over the um, emergency filming it and then did a little voiceover explaining what was going on. And that video went nearly uh, well, what I consider viral on this channel. It shot up to four or five hundred thousand views wow. real quickly with thousands of comments and questions. And I realized, oh, man, I've got a big story here to tell because nobody was getting it right in the media. They didn't know the difference between a spillway and a dam and what the heck was actually happening there. So I just took it upon myself to make that a full time job of reporting first on the emergency and then the rebuilding of the uh, Oroville spillway, which was a great engineering feat that was 10 years worth of work crammed into two seasons. And I gained the trust of the, uh, the DWR department of water resources and Keywood engineering who was doing the rebuild. And they allowed me excellent access to the site to continue to report on it. Oh, nice. Cool. That's what really put the channel on the map. I went from 4,000 subscribers to 40,000 subscribers nearly overnight and grew pretty steadily out of the Oroville thing, which took two years. And then folks had more and more questions about, well, the airplane, the Luscom and, and um, so I started doing a little bit more flying things, but I didn't really want to. Then an aircraft accident would happen and people would have questions about it. And I was reluctant to get into it because, as you know, hero to zero. If you say one thing wrong in aviation, you're just going to get oh, burned instantly. Right. And, and I'm not the I kind of shoot. I kind of get these things done really quick. And um but I went ahead and took a shot at it, and and pretty soon those videos became even more popular than the uh, Orville series, and people uh, wanted more and more information on on aviation incidents and accidents as they happened. And so I kind of developed a formula and a routine, which you see today on the channel, of, of how I report on these things and get them done, get them ha- knocked out pretty quick. Yeah, that's right? pretty awesome, actually. Right? Yeah. Where do you get, uh, like, for instance, t- today as we're recording this, it was about three days ago now or maybe two days ago that Delta had an emergency evacuation on the runway. And it was clearly, it wasn't clearly, it was, I'm assuming it was a passenger who shot some iPhone video. Mm-hmm. And then how, how do you get your hands on that and, and ask them for it? Is that a Well, pretty process? quick, yeah. You want to try and grab it off of social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and you, you can either ask them for permission if you can get the permission quick enough, or just take a shot at it and download it. Put you, put your face on there. Kind of make it your video, such that you are um, either commenting over it or 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 doing something okay. a little bit different from the video than the original video, and um, and then go from there. But yeah, copyright is a big deal, and it's. Uh, I'm always one foot on a banana peel and the other one on a third copyright strike at YouTube. And if you get three in a row, you are out of there, man. And you could be out of there for 90 days or more uh, with uh, three copyright strikes. So that's, well, that's that'd be painful. an easy way that's to get demonetized to, at YouTube. Yeah, that's nothing to screw around with then. But the other thing I noticed is that what does everybody get on all the major news channels? Well, you know, there's an open investigation, so we don't want to speculate. And obviously, there are times when... You don't even need to speculate that a cause is clear or there are other facts that can be stated. And and the avoidance of that is always fascinating to me. 
how do you balance that between I that guess, was a big hurdle to come, come to overcome on the channel is um first you got to establish yourself as somebody that knows what they're talking about on the topic and then the old mentality of let's wait until the final NTSB accident report is out. Well, that's going to take you two years. And there's things that we can learn about right here, right now, especially with today's technology. Things like ADSB uh, data, ADSB exchange, or flight aware, or flight radar 24. Boom, there's right away you've got the, the all the GPS information. Um, live ATC, boom, there's all the. Uh, uh, ATC radio transcriptions live from it. And then see, you got uh, social media and people are taking video of this accident. You put all three of those together and you can get a very complete picture within 24 hours of what actually happened. And then you don't want to um, begin placing blame right away. You want to say, these are the things that investigators will be looking at. And, and bring out those points um, mm-hmm. as you see them. Right. Oh, that's awesome. I, I think you do a fantastic job personally of, of balancing that, uh, not waiting two years and, and getting the word out there as to, you know, hey, here's what here's what you can tell happened, like you say, right off the ASB and ATC and that sort of and thing. Then it's, it's interesting to come back two years later or follow the public docket. You get a preliminary report out pretty quick from the NTSB. Follow up with that story. Then you get the public docket. Oh, man, you've got thousands of pages of documents to pour through there. And there you can pull a, pull another video out of that. And then you'll get the final report. And after talking with the NTSB, they like to see, does does anybody actually read all this product that we put out at, in the end? <laughs> Everybody wants to just see the first blast of information. But uh, very few of us go back to, and, and see the final report because there's details in that report that that we didn't even see in the initial report and um, uh, and a lot of good lessons to be learned in the final report. So it's neat to follow, follow up all the way through to the logical conclusion some two years later. But the audience isn't really there. The audience, man, the lifespan of these videos is such that an incident happens, you report on it within a day or two, and that video takes off and is already done in about 24 hours. The popularity, the half-life of that video is maybe 24 hours or less before no the kidding. number drops right off. So the, wow. the thing with YouTube and doing this sort of journalism thing is that you got to keep feeding the machine. You, you, you want, you right. got to keep after it. Once you've created a job, <laughs> you've, you've created a full-time job here, man. You got to stay after it. Yeah, it is a full-time job. So do you, is this a regular, do you have a, do you, do you try to keep a schedule or is it, uh, you know, based on events? Based on events, uh, as a minimum, I try to get at least two videos out a week, something at the beginning of the week and something towards the end of the week. But some weeks will be a video a day and then other weeks I'll be up in Idaho fishing like uh, t- last week or, and, <laughs> and the viewers just leave. <laughs> It's just, no it kidding. just flattens right out. So if there's no news, there's n- no viewers. I'll be yeah. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot with a question that, 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 that it's maybe a yes, no question. There was one off of Portsmouth or actually Hampton, New Hampshire last week. It was a champ or a cub. Uh, and there was video of that thing doing a, uh, uh, a ditching. Did you see that one? Did you report? Yeah, on that banner one? tow. I think it was a banner tow operation, engine failure, mm-hmm. and a bit busy crowded beach, and yes. he splashed it in right along the shoreline there. 
he he did indeed. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that thing flipped in about a half a second. <laughs> yeah. And it looked to me that he did about as good a job as you could expect uh, with yeah. a cub without an engine. I I probably would agree with him to just take the water ditching and, as opposed to that crowded beach. I don't know if that he had right. Pro- probably too many people on the beach try to throw yeah. it in there. Yep, yep. And that reminds us how quick are you going to be upside down in the water is one of you guys is a former Navy puke, aren't you there? Uh, well, we're, we're both, both of uh, us are. Uh, Marines. Yeah, former oh, Harrier pilots. Oh, jeez, Marines. So yeah. you know a thing or two about Dilbert dunking and yes. inserted uh, recoveries in the water and how <laughs> damn confusing it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The worst one was the uh, the helo dunker where you had to go blindfolded, inverted, out oh, the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your buddy's kicking you in the face with his boot on the way out. Yeah, steel-toed yeah. flight boots, not just any boot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we both used to be pretty yeah <laughs> army oh, training yeah. sir yeah that's right exactly we didn't even get there yet with our first question is always how'd you yeah, get interested how, uh, in aviation how, how you, exactly. ah, uh well let's see dad was an aerospace engineer and he got us into model airplanes very early on as kids and uh Dad retired early out of the aerospace industry at Aerojet General in Sacramento and decided he wanted to become a gentleman farmer up here in the foothills, the beautiful foothills of Northern California, and start a Christmas tree farm. And I was the indentured servant on a Christmas tree farm, pruning and planting and harvesting these damn things. And the only saving grace is that this farm was located right near our local airport, where I'm still at today here, on the downwind. So these airplanes would be flying around all day long. And then we had, and we still have, this fantastic firebombing air attack base at Nevada County Airport. So back in the day in the 70s, it was like World War II. All these World War II era aircraft are launching out of Nevada County Airport and returning uh, fighting forest fires. B-17s, F-7Fs, TBMs. Just So me and my little brother, we just get on our little bikes and pedal up to the airport and see what the heck was going on. And that just, I just spent my whole childhood up there at the airport hanging out learning everything I could about aviation and learning how to fly. First starting washing airplanes in exchange for airplane rides and then pumping gas. And then uh, bought my first airplane when I was 15 years old, an old 1942 Taylor Craft. Sold it on my 16th birthday and then got my license near my 17th birthday and then wrecked it by my 19th birthday and <laughs> then went to uh, uh oh i think there's a great aviation tale in there but we'll come back to that <laughs> yeah a little lesson in density altitude boys and girls something we talk about a lot on the channel and then after high school went to a and p school airframe and power plant school yeah. got my mm-hmm. mechanics license two years full-time rebuilt the engine from that old t- taylor craft sold the airframe to <laughs> to wreck to rebuild and then um and then from there, went on to community college. And uh, then finally, those old time uh, air tanker pilots convinced me to go cut my hair and go join ROTC down at Sacramento State. So I wandered down to the ROTC detachment there at the local okay. university with hair down to here. And they just laugh and they say, kid, go take this test. And that's the OQT the officer's qualification test. And so I start filming this thing out and I say, Oh, this is all about airplanes and flying. At least half of it was, this is easy. Yeah. Yeah. I just fill it all out. And he said, here you go, man. And uh, they, they take a look at the score and they say, son, go cut your hair and be back here Monday. And 
I ended up getting a scholarship out of that deal. Uh, Outstanding. And, and going off to pilot training. Then you get to pilot training. I had about a thousand hours of bug smasher time, but nothing, no instrument time or nothing professional at all. And so yeah. they beat the crap out of me, making me fly the Air Force way. And But they said, uh, you can talk and fly at the same time if we got a job for you. And I said, no, 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 I want that fighter assignment. I want that F-16. I'll even take an OV-10, whatever it takes. Yeah. I'm going to make you an instructor pilot. So sure Oh, no. So you got faped. I was faped, man. T-37s, oh. too. Oh, so, wow. Oh, where that, uh, where where that was that? Was Willie at Williams Air Force Base. I was lucky to get yeah. that. I was originally scheduled to go to Columbus, but I took an early option to go to Willie, and uh, then I got to a, a prisoner swap as uh, Dad was uh, down <laughs> with cancer at that time, and I was able oh. to switch the T thirty seven from Willie to Mather, which is what I always wanted to do. So I got to do a the unheard of Northern California active duty tour, Air Force tour. So T-37s at Mather Air Force Base. And that, as you recall, is where they train navigators. So very unique job. You get to do all the flying from the left seat, teach these kids that are going to go into the back seat of fighter aircrafts as navigators or weapon systems operators and teach them basic formation skills, aerobatic skills, and low-level skills. So I got to fly all around the foothills here of my hometown at 500 feet in the T-37 for three years and uh, teach these guys the basics. And then um, then I said, okay, I'm ready for my next assignment. That fighter assignment I've been <laughs> dreaming for all these years. And they say, congratulations, Brown. You get your first available choice, a C-141 to Travis Air Force Base just down the street from Mather. Jeez. <laughs> that don't look <laughs> nothing like a fighter. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Northern California. I didn't even have to move. And... Um, and that turned out to be a fantastic job, really learning how to fly a large crew airplane like the 141. And that was a difficult transition coming from T-37s for me to uh, learn to handle that 141. And pretty quick, they promoted you to aircraft commander in the 141 because you came from ATC as an instructor pilot. And so they gave you a heap of responsibility very early on. And there we were with a cast of thousands, uh, enlisted crew flying. This was strategic airlift, so we're just flying from one giant party to the next all around the world, hauling, hauling trash. How about that? Hey, uh, I, I don't know yeah. that we've uh, covered FAPE before. FAPE stands for First first Assignment Instructor Pilot. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which is, right. Which is okay. uh, yeah, which is what happened to Juan. And then you yeah. also said ATC, and I think instead of air traffic control, you meant Air Training Command? That's correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you'd come as an instructor, they put you in there. All right. Yep. Yeah. That's a that's a big difference to go to a C one forty one from a T thirty seven. Yeah. Wow. That was, what year? Nice. Uh, what year did you get your uh, wings? Uh, that was class eighty nine oh four Williams Air Force Base. Okay. So, so we're all about the same time frame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And then uh, you do your three or four years at the uh, with the 141, and then you're kind of trying to guide the timing of the industry to make your jump to the airlines. And, um, mm-hmm. of course, there, there wasn't a good time when I transitioned from tweets to 141, so I took that second assignment. Then, uh, boy, I, yeah, got out with the 141s, applied twice, and was uh, 
turned down twice by United Airlines. Um, I did get picked up by the Nevada Air National Guard flying C-130s. They had recently oh. transitioned from the RF-4 Phantoms to the C-130. So they were looking for anybody with some, does anybody got any CRM experience around <laughs> here? Because I went up there and I'm just flying with a bunch of pissed off old fighter pilots. <laughs> hey, uh, Juan, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, you and I went through uh C-130 school about the same time. Ah, okay. Little I Rock. Just, I am remembering you. I remember you now. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Uh-oh. Yeah, oh, we take no a six-week oh. program and spread it into six months at yes. Little Rock. Right on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> earlier, before we started recording, you had you put on your cheaters or something, and I thought, God, that guy looks familiar. And uh, now you just said, uh, you know, you, tr- you transitioned to the uh, – to the Reno, I mean, uh, yeah, Reno, Reno yeah, Guard, Reno right? Guard, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's uh, and that's that I that's where I know you from was from Little Rock back in uh, <laughs> would have been uh, ninety eight, yeah, yep, yep, that's right? it, yeah, late nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's when I went through C one thirty school myself. Oh man, that was a long, slow program, um, but it paid good since the and then. About that same time, uh, I got picked up by the U.S. Forest Service to get trained up as a lead plane pilot flying the um, the Beach Barrens for the Forest Service. And oh. so that oh, lasted cool. for about a year until finally uh, one more application into uh, the airline I'm working for today and uh, got a job there and been there for the last 24 years. Nice. Yeah, excellent. Very well, cool. Uh, here at So There I Was, we're proud to welcome as a sponsor, Robin's Bird Brain Designs. Looking for a unique and thoughtful gift? Well, look no further. At robinsbirdbraindesigns.com, they specialize in custom slate coasters that are sure to impress. Imagine having a set of coasters personalized with your squadron logo and call sign, or even your aircraft tail number and instruments. Whether it's for your aviation enthusiast friends or a special someone in your life, Their custom coasters are the perfect way to show that you've put some thought into getting that something special for someone truly special. But it doesn't stop there. They can also create coasters with any organization, logo, and printing that you desire. From military units or sports teams, they've got you covered. Their high-quality coasters are made from durable slate, ensuring they'll stand the test of time. So why settle for ordinary gifts when you can give something extraordinary? Visit robinsbirdbraindesigns.com today and let them help you create custom gifts that show just how much you care. Because when it comes to thoughtful presents, they've got your back. Flying, uh, flying T-37s. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess you, you got a lot of experience doing that uh, as, a, as a fape. What, uh, what, what, if any, was your, uh, oh shit, hand on the ejection handle or... Uh, <laughs> it's, and it's ATC, it's the T-37. It's, it is just, it was just the easiest airplane to fly and to handle. There was really no, no bullshit okay. moments at all in the T-37. Okay, we did good. spins all the time. Now we did have a kid uh, that uh, was doing a spin here at Bullard's Bar and there was a mechanical failure of the flight controls and he did... It, the T-37 did not recover from the spin, and they did successfully eject and um, sent the tweet back to uh, the taxpayers. But, uh, boy, out of Mather, it was it was easy living. Good, good easy assignment. Nice. Nice. Yeah. We had as a primary aircraft was the T-34, and we told the story ever so briefly a couple couple shows back. But I had a friend who was in flight school, and they, they were in the T-34 and out doing the spin hop. 
and it, it had a mechanical and didn't recover either. And so they executed their bailout procedures. Instructor got out and the student was a friend of mine, jumped out and landed right on the right wing and was pinned to it and literally low crawled to the end of the right wing and pushed himself clear <laughs> and pulled his D ring and got about a swing in the chute before his feet hit the water. So oh, that was man. Yeah. That's a story. Yeah, it was. <laughs> if, if famous throughout the training community. I'm glad we're laughing about it, but yeah, that's yeah, so terrifying. So am I. Yeah. yeah. He went on to get his wings and then wound up turning them in when two good friends of ours, uh, mutual friends of ours were, were killed pretty quickly in the Harrier community. He went, yeah, I'm done. I've had too many close calls and lost and lost friends. And, you know, I'd rather go do something like sell shoes at Kinney or something, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah. So, that Harrier yeah. was, uh, it had a lot of losses. Mm. Wasn't for that. Sadly, it, it did. There the were a couple articles a few years back too, about, about the whole program that I was not aware of when we were going through, I'd have been no, more shit, terrified. I had I, I, I well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't know that at the time. Wasn't the Harrier uh, affectionately referred to as the whistling shit can of death, as I recall? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, wrong airplane. No, <laughs> no it not, was never. It not was by us. I just, in fact, I used to look at the KC tens and the and the one forty ones and those guys going, "You got no way to get out of that thing." We we yeah. had a way to get out. If things went bad, we could pull the handle. There you no, go. That didn't always work out, but um, yeah, <laughs> I was always afraid of the big ones. You couldn't get get, get out of, and now I fly one. <laughs> yeah. Juan, did you have any uh, extracurricular excitement while you were flying one forty ones anywhere in the world? Anything stand out where you learned valuable lesson or? Uh, oh yeah, there was a few of them. There was the. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I think I was a FO or a third pilot on this one. I vaguely remember a Cat Three Tacan approach into Cairo, Egypt, <laughs> in fuel. Oh. <laughs> so oh. one of them deals where the fog rolls in, and all you got is the Tacan approach, and so it was one of those, uh, uh, you know go around then the alternates not available and so we got to get in on this one and uh it was a little bit below minimums and uh i remember the aircraft commander asking if somebody would help pull this seat cushion out of his tail after we landed <laughs> on that one. Right. um and then there was uh one departing ascension island on a dark and stormy night over the middle of the water and uh, just doing a normal climb out and all of a sudden all the cockpit lights up with lights and the stall warning system is going off. Stall, stall, stall. Oh, that's fine. But we weren't stalling. It was, it was, um, unreliable airspeed indications. And we just kept flying pitch and power and not hollered at the guys to turn that damn system off and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> flying the airplane. That'll lead airplane. you down a primrose path, won't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've and, done a couple of scenarios in the sim that, uh, that sure got me. And that's a, uh, Juan, you, you just hit on a very important, uh, uh, aspect of any, uh, you know, anything off script, fly the airplane. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, first things first, fly, somebody's got to fly the airplane. How do you turn that automatic stuff off and fly the airplane? Known pitching power plane. Exactly. So you did lead flying for the for the fire bombers. Yeah, that was a fascinating job, man. I always thought it'd be cool to be a uh, forward air controller. Well, that was the most, that was, that was a lifetime of anus clenching adventure crammed into one year of training (laughs) in the, in the beach Baron flying for the forest service. And it was a dear old friend of mine that 
that uh, started me out on my primary instruction on this. And they kept saying, so you've flown low level before. And, and I said, well, yeah, military and all that. No, I mean, really low level. And I said, well, uh, Reno air races, I've raced up there for about five years. And they says, well, that's more like it. Cause you take that first ride out in the lead plane and holy smokes, you are 150 feet off of the terrain flying blue line airspeed, your minimum safe single engine airspeed, um, working your way down smoke filled canyons, um, oh, shit. trying to sort out how to effectively and safely deploy retardant on a, on a forest fire with a tanker following a quarter mile behind you, a great big DC four, six or something like that. <laughs> a quarter mile behind you, just building up a head of steam and just about fixing to overrun you. Holy so, shit. And and it was a, a single pilot operation once you got qualified um, and they would just hand you the whole show, the whole air show over a fire. And so you'd be up there with a grease pencil on the on the um, windshield and a bunch of radios, like four different channels you're monitoring. <laughs> and they're just throwing these uh, tankers at you. And you got to figure out how you're going to use them, how you're going to deploy them and then pick, get them in the holding patterns, pick each one up individually and lead them down the smoke filled Canyon and show them exactly where you wanted that retardant dropped and then head them off and then go up and pick up the next tanker and continue the operation. Holy shit. How, so how long, what, what would a normal day uh, hours wise be like for you doing that? Well, the, the main thing on that job, we were a federal asset, so we didn't really stay at one particular base like uh, so many other of the air tanker pilots do. They're kind of assigned one base for the whole season. So yeah. we'd wander all across the country. We'd start in Florida and work our way all the way across the, to California over a period of six months, kind of living out of the back of the airplane. So most of your time, like in most of these firefighting operations, just spent sitting around the tanker base on alert all day long, often not okay. turning a wheel for days. And then once the alarm went off, well, what really irritated me at the time was they would always wait. They would they didn't want to time out the cruise, it seemed like. So they would always wait until conditions were just at their absolute worst. And there was very little, if anything, you could do about it. And then they would launch the lead planes and the large air tankers in the afternoon. Once the, the winds pick up, the turbulence picks up and the fire picks up. And I was always arguing with them. Why don't you let us get in there in the morning and, yeah. and attack it while while conditions are calm, but they've got limited resources and they don't want to burn those resources up too soon. So so oh, where's the going. challenge of that? Yeah, well, we'd <laughs> get going in the after <laughs> afternoon. There wasn't a damn thing we could do about it. And we'd start um, dumping this retardant and you would go until you ran out, not ran out of fuel, but until you burned up your fuel with reserves in the Baron. And then you would swap out with the other lead plane and you'd do a little aerial conference of as to what you're up to. And then you would go back to base while he worked his fuel load out and you would uh, get something to eat and then you would come back to the fire uh, when he was out uh, uh, timed out of fuel and do a little conference and you'd go back and look at the fire that you were fighting and you would say, what in the hell happened here? We're like 20 miles down range and all these mountain ranges and valleys have burned between here and there since then on, yeah. on your one. <laughs> what the hell? And so these are because, again, this is a federal asset. These are large fires, complex fires. We're managing the fire at this point. This is not the Cal Fire effort where you're trying to keep small fires small. This was not necessarily initial attack 
kind of work. This was um, extended operations where you're into uh, day two, three, and four of a large complex fire, trying to keep it managed. That sounds uh, that sounds uh, like you know periods of complete boredom followed by uh, uh, sheer you know, panic terror, man. Sheer yeah, panic terror. <laughs> you'd be up there, and you'd, you'd rotate like that until sundown, and um, and you'd be up in that smoke so long all day that you're you'd get a big old headache from breathing the smoke and um, the turbulence would be so bad that your headset would bang off of the ceiling and fly into the back of the aircraft. And you'd have to say, hang on, let me reel my headset back on here, put it back on. (laughs) And down we go another smoke filled Canyon. Oh, geez. (sighs) And that eventually wore out those barons. They, 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 we flew, literally flew the wings off of them and they had to um, scrap the airframes after we got done with them. Oh, man. How, so how, how, how many hours? Is, is that like a 12,000 hour airframe or more? Mm, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Well, we shortened them quite a bit with that job. <laughs> how long did you how long did you do that? Well, that only lasted for me one year. Uh, so it was it was taking a full year, a full season of training with a, with an instructor pilot. Some of the best best damn pilots I've ever met um, in that in in aviation doing that mm-hmm. job. Um before before the airlines called and got me out of the smoke filled canyons. That's some real stick and rudder skills there and evaluating the winds and the terrain oh, yeah. and the weather yeah. and the wow. Yeah. So, and so um, that, that helps with the channel too when these when we get these kind of accidents with the firefighting aircraft that we yeah. can talk about them with some experience. Juan, yeah, did you finish uh did you finish your military career with the guard? I screwed that up too, man. I don't Damn. kid. Stay Ditto. in there. Don't right. do as I did. Maybe these two knuckleheads, I'm not sure, but stay in and get your 20. Cause yeah. the biggest problem is now we're 60 medical benefits. Yeah, that's that's right. yep. You want to get that. It's very yeah. important. All the old timers tried to tell me, but I didn't listen. Yeah. I, uh, I'd look through it and I stayed, I stayed in and they made them kick me out. Uh, finally, um, and but re, re, repeat uh, kind of uh, he you know had sixteen good years it. whether I needed it or not. Yeah, overboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the smartest move I ever made. See? So now you got to be a now you got to be a podcaster to make up the difference, and I right? got to be exactly. on YouTube just to <laughs> 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 oh, retirement. So, uh, Juan, you mentioned something about air racing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, uh, let's let's talk about that for a second. What uh, when, what yeah, when? another good story. So um, <clears throat> I'm always buying and selling small airplanes, and I bought and got into a pit special, a couple different pit specials over the years. Learning to fly the pit special, doing some sportsman aerobatic, and I kind of sucked at aerobatics. That's mm-hmm. something you really got to practice hard and be disciplined at to get any good at, and spend a lot of time, money, effort, and energy just to get a rubber trophy. And then, um, then the Reno Air Races National Championship Air Races biplane class back in the uh, this would have been the in the 1980s was kind of dying on the vine. They had some racing biplanes that were stealing the show, uh, Sundancer, Sorceress, a couple of the really fast biplanes, and so nobody else wanted to compete against these exclusive racing biplanes that just ran away from the pack. So they developed a. Um, a class of biplane that allowed just any old pit special to come on in and race. And they put out the word calling all pit specials, come on up to the Reno air races. We've got a big purse to share between all of you. And, um, 
and some friends of mine were involved with it. So they got us talked into it and we all, and I'd been going to the Reno air races since forever as a kid. So I just jumped at the opportunity to, to, to race at the Reno national championship air races. So I took this old pit special and a tent and camped out (laughs) underneath the wing of the airplane and came home with a, like $1,500 in prize money, man. I just, uh, (laughs) Holy cow. Cotton. And that was for coming in darn near last place, man. (laughs) It was the most fun I could have ever had. uh, Just ripping around the pylons at uh, 50 feet above the ground, wide open throttle, trying to fly formation with a bunch of other guys that don't want to fly formation with you and wake turbulence like you wouldn't believe. Um, Just just an absolute blast. Well, that that's so if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, we we do have listeners that are not uh, in the aviation world. Can you just break down what the what air race is and what it looks like? Oh, yeah, sure, man. So Reno National Championship Air Race is old school pylon racing. So out there in the desert of Nevada, they've got a number of different race courses set up with these barrels. It's barrel racing. So each barrel is about 50 feet above the ground. Um, and in the pit special course is about a three mile oval course. And the objective is, well, turn left, go fast and first one wins. Um, and it, and it starts with the dreaded racehorse start. So you're sitting there with the squirrely little pit special where you can't see anything over the nose on the start line, wingtip to wingtip, one, two, three, four of you. And then maybe a couple more in the back of the pack, which will get launched a, a second or two after the, the, first guys go so you're sitting on the runway right sitting on, on the, the runway, runway your knees are just a trembling waiting for that flagman to drop that dang flag and he's <laughs> he doesn't drop at the same time every time just to keep you guessing so that you don't jump the line and then bam they drops that green flag and we all just go go like hell dump the brakes and go like hell and then we're all trying to get to the first pylon first so there's this big crowd of airplanes all crowding in for the First pylon. And the the, uh, rules are such that you have to keep your head has got to be no lower than the top of the pylon. And nowadays they have a height restriction. They don't want you flying any higher than 200 feet. So you got to stay in this little 150 foot or so range of altitude uh, ripping around the pylons. And of course, the closer you get to the pylon, the tighter the course you can fly. So in the faster the lap. That's right. Yeah. 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 but you got wake turbulence from everybody else. The biplanes put out four sets of wingtip vortices. And so you're just back there in the back getting getting rolled left and right, plus the winds and the turbulence of the desert itself. That's why we usually race earlier in the morning um, to get our race in there. And we'll go six or eight laps like that. And pretty quick, you get paired up. The airplanes can only go so fast and you, you can... But sometimes you'll get in some great races, and if you've got a good formation partner, you can just kind of go back and forth there a little bit. And the rules of the race are you have to pass high and to the outside. You can never, ever, ever pass on the inside. You can never go belly up to another aircraft, as you know, in formation, because you can't see them, and you'll smack them every time. And so so all that, of course, was uh, before Air Force and all that for me. So that was – learning the hard way all that all that well yeah stuff and then come in to land of course is the biggest part of the funnest part of the show in a pit special is landing a pits without ground looping it yeah, <laughs> with wind. tens of thousands of people watching you <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing, 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 down the runway we'd go 
since you were talking about Pit Special, you opened with uh, "So There I Was" uh, inverted, mm. inverted or inverted spin. Yeah, inverted spin flat spin. Yeah, yeah. So well, there so it was. was. So talk, talk. How'd that happen? Well, you get the Pit Special, and you're gonna learn how to do aerobatics, right? So I uh, just kind of teach myself how to do aerobatics. I can figure this out. So you do your loop, roll, and spin, and you get that going pretty good. And uh, well, it's time to start working on these hammerheads on the pits. So my hammerheads, self-taught, uh, were looking more like a wing over than a proper hammerhead. And so I figure, oh, I know what the problem is. I'm just not being aggressive enough with the rudder. I'm just going to give this thing the boot this time. So get it going on the vertical line straight up. Don't wait for the airspeed to decay properly. And so with a good amount of steam going straight up, I give that thing the boot. Wham! And it does exactly what you told it to do. And it just pops right into an imperfect, beautiful, inverted flat spin. Full power. Oh, the oh, nose shit. is on the horizon, spinning around. Oh. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Upside down. And you go, oh, great. How do you get out of one of these? And again, I got the lesson before I got the training. And um, we'd always <laughs> talked about it. Pit special emergency spin recovery. Just chop the power. And I... You know, it seems like it went around for a turn and a half or two before this sure. came through my feeble yeah. mind. And uh, said, yeah. and then you sit there and watch it in slow motion, chop the power, let go of the stick so you're not aggravating the situation. Right. Sure. And then boot the opposite rudder. And that thing came out, it transitioned real quick to a beautiful inverted spin and then just came out a little bit beyond in, inverted there and just pulled right out. Came right up. <laughs> nice. Plenty hey, of mistakes. Uh, high, you know. Plenty of altitude. Nice. And uh, when uh, uh, when it was when you were inverted spinning, were you getting a, a negative g increase with each rotation? Mm, or was it pretty like like one? You know, nah, one you're falling. Spinning. You're falling right with the airplane. <laughs> okay, coming okay, down okay. pretty quick. <laughs> wow, that's terrifying. <laughs> It did come um, back to your mind, then, though. We had uh, we had the captain of Southwest 1380 who lost that engine about five years ago, going from LaGuardia to Dallas. And she said, you know, the adrenaline that you get from that doesn't make you smart, but the ability to recall things like your emergency procedures. She goes, that's an amazing drug from that sense. Mm -hmm. She goes, all mm -hmm. these things I wasn't sure I knew came right back to me, all the yeah. training. So, yeah. So that was good. Once you get over the startle factor, it takes you a minute to go. Right. What in the hell? <laughs> That's what gets you. It's like, how do you react? Anyway, hey, I've got a question from someone watching on Facebook. They want to know if there's any communication between the racers during the race. What radio uh, well, what radios do you have up? <laughs> well, yeah, back question. in my day, we couldn't afford neither electrical system nor so it was all radio. Hand signals? <laughs> there was no, yeah, there was Nothing. And nobody wanted to fly formation with you anyway. So yeah. it was hand propping of the aircraft uh, there on the starting line. And there was no radios um, at the time. Oh. So okay. so you were just following the rules of the road of passing high on the and the outside. Now we do have radios nowadays and we'll just maybe make a very quick radio call on your left, on your right. And one lesson I learned without radios is to main to help maintain situational awareness on the race course. I learned to read the shadows on the ground really well. The pits is notoriously blind. You got that big wing in front of you and you can't see too good in front of you. And you got the wing below you. You can't see underneath you. 
So, but the shadows on the ground, I could see who was around me, kind of like a crude TCAS, and then go oh, yeah. find those guys uh, okay. and, and maintain situational awareness. And once the race gets going, everybody kind of gets locked into their position. Then your SA becomes a lot easier to read. Well, but other first turns. radios would be just a real short uh, passing on your right or. Okay. That first turn, uh, that the first pylon is probably exciting. Yeah, yeah, and you ain't got time to say nothing on the radio. You just gotta <laughs> stay out of the way, man. It's like the first turn on a motocross race. Oh right? man, and then oh man, and then there, when the winds blow out of the um, west, the wrong direction, you'd have to do a scatter pylon start, and that was terrifying. That means you had to take off going the wrong way, opposite of the left-hand race course go the wrong way, go find a scatter pylon and then do a full 180 degree turn around a scatter pylon with everybody all bunched up and, and then enter the race course. And then here's another S interesting story about all that in the Reno air races. So back <laughs> Back in them days, uh, there was no formal training for uh, air race pilots. I mean, there, there was a little bit when you got there uh, during qualifying. Nowadays, there's a whole pylon racing school. And this is kind of why I got out of air racing was because less and less qualified dudes would show up. Uh, doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs that just bought these <laughs> planes the week before and decide they want right. to go air racing. And they'd yeah. get out there on the track and just get lost on a three-mile oval. They couldn't find the freaking pylons and they're cutting across the, the course <laughs> all the wrong direction. And, just, and and that's when I had a radio and said, here he comes again. Look out, man. And that kind of just, just put me off of air racing. Um, and But eventually the association developed a professional pylon racing school and and help tighten all that up and and made the whole thing a bit safer well that's good oh yeah yeah <laughs> well sounds cool geez. but terrifying <laughs> it yeah. does uh, yeah. you know i uh, it's on my bucket list of th- things to do we go to reno air races and um, well you better go this year because this is it man this is the last time you'll ever see air racing at reno Seriously? ever again this is well, the why? end of the Reno National Championship Air Race. This year, it's going to be the biggest damn reunion party you've ever seen. And that's the best thing about the Air Races is the people. All your friends yeah. that you've been hanging out with for the last 40 or 50 years at the Air Races um, will be there. And um, the, the Air Racing ain't what it used to be back like back in the day, but it's still happening. And it's the last chance you'll ever get to see closed course pylon so the racing. the risk of increasing the crowd size, uh, when, when is that? September, the middle of September, 15, 16, okay. 17, right in there. Every year okay. at the same time. It's the mid, okay. mid-September. And this is the last year, huh? Last wow. year. They finally, uh, the economics of it finally caught up to them. The lack of, of uh, crowds. The uh, I mean, it's a whole new generation of folks there that uh, the World War II guys that really were into it are gone. And, um, and then uh, you got encroachment. And finally, I think the final nail in the coffin was... Uh, Freight haulers working out of Reno Stead Airport did not want to see the airport shut down for two weeks for the air races when they want to continue to get their freight moving in and out of Stead sure. as that's an ever-growing um, freight depot. Wow. So they're considering trying to find a new location for the air races, maybe Wendover. We don't know, but that's going to be a, uh, a huge deal to try to move it and get enough people to come out to watch it. It has to be somewhere you can access but have wide open Yep, wide open flying space. in, and yeah, yeah. Yep. and that land, the Air Race Association owns that land 
thousands of acres and but it's very valuable now and it's going to be worth a lot more sold off and developed than it is for air racing oh, shit. well shit exactly <laughs> that's just so part you of better get out right? there this year that's just rude well i'm gonna have to work on that then i did not realize that that was uh that, that was coming to an end the end of an era uh yep yeah well this is it then i need to go or get our shut the hell up right yeah Yep. Right. Uh, so we got to figure out how to get out there and how to do a show or two from there. Oh, that'd be our excuse. Well, you're, you'd probably have to record it. The, the, uh, the in a hotel room. It's not going to be strong yeah. enough to stream, but you could record it. Yeah. And then yeah. anybody that's anybody in aviation is out there. So they'll be there. Well, Great. Right. Yeah. Got to make yeah, it happen. Uh, I think I saw a note about a engine failure somewhere over the Pacific. Oh, yeah. Yep, the old 757 okay. engine failure. You know, you go through your whole career. Have you guys in your airline career, have you guys uh, even had an engine failure since no, flight I, one? I've had to shut them down. But You've had one no. to shut down? Yeah. We actually, it was actually just a frozen throttle cable on a DC-10. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, couldn't land with 90% power. <laughs> yeah. One out of three ain't bad. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super reliable. Uh, to the listeners out there, you can go through a whole 20 plus year career and not and not have an engine failure. But yeah. we finally got one. It was a few years ago. Triple uh, seven out of um, it was a Hilo. No, I'm sorry. Not triple seven. It was a 757 um, coming from Hawaii, going back to L.A. And that is always done in the middle of the night. And it's about three right. in the morning. And we're about an hour and 45 minutes still away from Los Angeles, just cruising along, trying to stay awake. And we get a filter bypass light. Bink, lights oh. up. And um, okay. uh the the checklist doesn't tell you much about a filter bypass light. And then the is that oil or fuel? Uh, I believe that's the oil filter bypass oil light. Filter bypass. Okay. And the 767 book says, uh, well, the engine might shut down. <laughs> but it didn't say that in the 7.5 manual at the time. So we figured, well, we might get busy. Yeah. Now. I think <laughs> 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 yeah. Suggest a change. Uh, well, we might get busy, so um, let's go ahead and do our bathroom break now. So I'm in the right seat. Captain gets up to go to the bathroom. And, uh, yeah, at the time, I think we had the flight attendant up there during the bathroom break. And sure enough, boom, number one engine just shuts down just instantly, just like as if somebody had hit the fuel cutoff switch. No way. So, <laughs> a little bit of a so yaw. I'm Captain comes right. back on the flight deck with piss yeah, all over his shoes. What did you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what did you do? He said, <laughs> I kind of look back to the flight attendant and get it back up here. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of wait a few potatoes because I'm thinking, uh, what do I do? Should I just start jumping into the, doing procedures and flipping switches and carrying on on my own and getting off track and starting the descent? Or I'm just wait. Let's just wait a few seconds here for the captain to get back in his seat <clears throat> so that we can work together as a team and get this thing done. Well, he heard it shut down in the engine. So he was back in pretty quick and I That's had power up on the good engine. And, um, and Mr. Airspeed was just very slowly decaying as we were holding our altitude on one engine. Then together as a team, we went through the whole procedure of getting off the track. You know, you're on a non-radar track in Hawaii. So you got to do the 30 degrees off and, 
holler on the radio that uh, mayday, 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 and anybody that's in the area, we're coming down off of the track. So you get, so you do your routine and do your um, MCT descent to a habitable altitude. So you're in the uh, mid thirties or so. And on one engine, you can hold uh, somewhere in the low to middle twenties. So you get so many miles off of the track and then turn to parallel. And then we just continued straight on in at that point. uh, um, The difference between LA and San Francisco, you're only two alternate airports. That's the unique thing about flying the Hawaii routes is that's, I think the longest, route in the world without a suitable alternate airport. It is. It's either, the longest overwater leg that you don't have a, a an escape route. Right. Really. It's either where yeah. you came from or where you're going. So you got your ETP point figured out and we were beyond the ETP. So we knew we were continuing west and uh, the difference between San Francisco and LA was marginally different. And so we just continued yeah. straight on into LA in the low 20s. And so there you just sit there on one engine after you get through done with all the checklists. Uh, <laughs> pondering life on one engine over the Pacific at three in the morning. And of course the, the, um, coastal fog, the Marine layer moves in to LA right at sunrise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right at sunrise. So it's a, it's a single engine ILS to men's and, and I got to do the approach and it all worked out beautifully. And I just left the autopilot on the whole time. And, um, didn't turn it off until we broke out, you know, one mile visibility. And by the time I clicked that autopilot off, that airplane was so well, perfectly trimmed up. It was just the easiest thing in the world, a single engine approach and landing in the Boeing 757, much easier than in the simulator. Rolled right in there, greased it on. The whole thing was so quiet at three in the morning. We only discussed it with the flight attendants as to what had happened. We didn't even mention it to the passengers until after we landed. We said, we're going to stop here on the runway and have some fire trucks check us out real quick. And then we'll be taxiing to the gate shortly. Um, and so they slept, the passengers slept through the entire event. They had no nice. idea what had happened. That's the way you want it right now. Yeah. Nice and calm. And the, the, the flight attendants had that look in their eye when you pop open the door and that that's pretty emotional when you see that, but yeah. the passengers are just waking up saying, which way is the gate to Poughkeepsie? Yeah. It's just right. No yeah. idea. Sit there on you know what game carousel my bag will be at. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, hey, Juan, the closest we, uh, I came to that, we were coming out of, uh, I was a passenger with my wife coming out of uh, uh, Venice, Italy, and we were going to New York. And we got business class. She's a retired uh, sandwich girl. I think I've explained that call sign before. So she's a retired sandwich girl from Delta Airlines. We're riding in business class. And the gal comes right just after serving food about five minutes later, comes around and rips our trays away and goes, ah, no, we're going to Paris. Don't know why. Mm-hmm. My wife goes, well, she would know why if it was a medical or a problem behind the door. So it must be a problem in the front office. And about that time, the captain comes on and makes the announcement that uh, they've had a catastrophic loss of oil in one of the engines and had mm-hmm. to shut it down and we can't cross the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hit, hit all your airline captains out there. Don't use the word catastrophic. Yeah, uh, just freaking out, man. Don't freak out the passengers. Oh, man. Or <laughs> fire engines. Nice, gentle, easy, but you would have never known it if you hadn't said anything. You know? yeah. Juan, you used, a, you used an acronym I don't think we've covered before. ETP. There you ah. go. Good catch. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Equal time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Equal time point. So, 
there's you know there's an equal distance between two points but what really matters when you're flying is the equal time point because you're going to have a headwind or a tailwind so you got to figure out at which point between here and hawaii are you going to be halfway there time wise so right. that's the point you you have on your flight plan and you have predetermined and you keep track of for your situational awareness in the event of an emergency we are now beyond our etp our equal time point we are going to continue on to our destination Perfect. Right. Thank you. Yeah. And obviously, if you were prior to your equal time point, you would turn around and go back to where you started. That's right. Yep. That's all long range navigation over water. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And you'll have yeah. several ETP points, for example, going from uh, LA sure. to Sydney, Australia. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. That takes a minute, doesn't it? It Holy does cow. indeed. That's a, bi- that's a big and flight. I've- I've actually got a couple pretty cool pictures because there's a point there when we do that, we go right by the where the international dateline and the equator intersect. So I draw that yeah. out on the nav display and take a picture of that. And I've got that somewhere. There's a big there's a big buoy floating out there though, isn't there? Absolutely. <laughs> Just like Yesterday's the pole, the red tomorrow. Pole, the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. North Pole. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Juan, tell tell us about uh, paying paying it forward in scholarships. How's that? What? Yeah, how's yeah. So a couple of things. Um, they, while I was away on a trip, they elected me president of our local flying club. So I didn't. Oh, have great! A, a Congratulations. Sandwich. Yeah, and a big part of that flying club is to raise money each year for local pilot scholarships. So um, we've been doing that with uh, having our little uh, fly-ins and and giving away rides for. A, for a donation towards the scholarship with the uh, FAA's blessing on that. We give away about $10,000 a year in scholarship money uh, to usually about two different uh, young aviators that are getting all of their ratings. Nice. And um, and on the a recent development on the Blanco Lirio channel, young summer intern Kellen, who has got his private and instrument and is working on his commercial rating, uh, he's a, a, a been instrumental and as a summer intern with IT help around here, <laughs> like getting the microphones to work. Um, so, and I've been getting bugged for uh, merch. Where's your merch, Brownie? You don't have any merch on your website or your YouTube channel. And I don't have time for that. So I just handed it all over to Kellen. I said, Kellen, you work out the merch and you can keep all the profit and put it all towards your flying career. So he oh, developed nice. uh, this t-shirt here, for example, with the now famous Kablamo logo on the back of it and um, and a bunch of other stuff. And he's got it there on um, Spreadshop and uh, it's helping for him uh, to pay for his, his flying program. And we bought a little uh, RV-12 project and got some kids up there at the airport learning how to pound rivets on the RV-12. And um, nice. sold the Mighty Luscom and picked up a Piper Cub and have been giving some introductory lessons to some young folks uh, of the stick and rudder skills in the Piper Cub. No better aircraft to learn stick and rudder skills than in an old J3 with 85 horse. You right. fly no hydraulic failures there. Nah, yeah. No nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no electrical, hand prop. Well, Sticks, uh, sticks uh, sent a, sent a uh, question there repeat um and i don't know if you want to even talk about this or not but how i mean what's the best way to start a scholarship for for uh organization like that do do you know the nuts and bolts behind it yeah you know i'm learning about this right now and where i think we're going to go with this and what our uh over here in auburn california our neighbors what they've done 
the best way to go about this, and this is something I want to set up, and I'm willing to make a big chunk of donation to get this ball rolling, is to set up an endowment program. So when you get some retired folks or some uh, uh, that want to pay it forward, if you mm-hmm. can get a big chunk of money rolling, like two or three hundred grand, and then just peel off of that four percent each year to provide a little ten thousand dollar scholarship. Uh, them numbers ain't right, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a little bit off of it each year uh, to for scholarships, and then continue to grow the endowment by especially when, uh, you know, maybe folks pass away and they leave some money behind, they can leave a little money into this endowment. And there, you, then you can get a, a kind of a self-funded scholarship yeah. program in perpetuity. How do you say in that, Benny? Perpetuity. Perpetuity, yeah. baby. That's it. 50 cent word of the day. <laughs> I can't spell it, but I know what it means. And so that, that I think is the, the best way to do a scholarship program. If you've got that seed money to get it started. Sure. All right. Sure. Sticks. And there you go, buddy. Legal, legal issues in there too. With the, yeah. You got to get a money guy to handle it all. And, yep, yeah. And do all that. And so that's, unless you pay taxes on the donations. Yep. Yep. Right, so. right. All right. Uh-huh. Excellent. Well, that's oh, awesome. And, cool. and, uh, you know, thank you for doing that uh, as a, as a fellow aviator and, uh, you know, somebody who is uh, passionate about, uh, especially general aviation. I, Hey, by the way, what, what kind of airplanes do you currently uh, have? <laughs> I'm trying to quit, man. <laughs> I know. Right? So, anyway, so uh, repeat's got a Grumman Tiger. Good. What? what uh, I've got a uh, Debonair. What? What? What do you have? Oh, uh, good. I got the uh, Aviat Husky, 1997 Aviat Husky. Um, <laughs> well, hey, what motors on that? That's the. They all pretty much the same. Got the uh, 0360 Lycoming 180 horse. Okay. Lycoming. That's what I got on my Tiger. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Bulletproof engine. Great engine. Um, just had another great adventure up there in um, Idaho. Let's see. I got a, you see, you want a picture of it. Let me see here. Can you see? There it is. Hey. Uh, yeah. And, oh, and a rather a precarious. Uh, <laughs> that wingtip oh, isn't touching oh, the ground yet. <laughs> yeah. That was a little too close for comfort. Uh, the um, full stall landing was a little more than <laughs> bargain for. <laughs> Beautiful. Spin uh, entry was interrupted by ground contact. Um, <laughs> the uh, oh, I've become recently the caretaker for a 1959 Cessna 310 uh, aircraft, oh, wow. and that's eating my lunch financially. And so I'm learning all about the vicissitudes of owning a, an older light twin. Oh boy! <laughs> and then right. sold the last one and picked up that uh, J3 Cub, a beautifully restored uh, J3 Cub. How fun Very nice. And I imagine that's probably the funnest of the three. Yeah, it is. It sure is. That's yeah. that's uh, pure flying right there. It's uh, doors and windows wide open, real organic flying, low and slow. Nice. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. So hangers, that's the first problem, kids, is you got to get the hanger before you get the airplane. That's right. There's a big shortage of hangers around. Several years a, of waiting lists in New England. It's a tight commodity. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Well, well. Thank you for uh, thank you for all that. I I don't know. I'm yeah. kind of out of questions. Repeat. Yeah, uh, well, we've been at it man. for over an hour, boys. Good grief, Great we have we have indeed. So we probably ought to land this plane. But uh, yeah. Boy, thank you fast. for your service. I didn't realize it had been an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, cool. thank you for your service. 
Yep, it is, yep. It's good to see you again. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't I, I didn't put it together until you said Reno C-130s, and then that's what I went, that's why I went. That's why you <laughs> now, were you going through as a student at the time also? or were Yeah, you I was. So, so I had just been, uh, so I, I just got off active duty from the Marines, you know, and I was a Harrier uh, uh, guy, and I had just finished a two-resident instructor, and I had been at uh, the airline that I'm currently employed at uh, mm-hmm. when and I took a military leave and went to C-130 school. Good. Uh, I was in the guard, St. Joe, St. Joe. Good, good, good. So I, I went through the same program you did. I uh, uh, at about the same time because I, I remember mm-hmm. from there. Very good, good. And you were smart. You stuck it out for 20 years plus. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, thank you very much. And I guess, yeah, we will land this plane now. We've got to uh, say some other thank yous. Uh, we got to say thank you to Dave Brown over at Backbeat Media. They provide all the advertising for this show. He's got the Mac Geek Gab, the Gig Gab, and the Business Brain. Hold thank you second. also to Hold our... Hold on a second, repeat. I'm sorry. That's Dave Hamilton. Dave Hamilton, man, the man. Dave Hamilton. <laughs> I think you got uh, Juan Brown and Dave Hamilton mixed up. <laughs> You called him Dave Brown. I knew that. <laughs> I was just seeing if you noticed. Thank you, Dave Hamilton. Somebody's paying attention yeah. around here. Thank you. <laughs> or, or we could call him Juan Hamilton. Juan <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> Thank you, there Dave. You now, I went to flight school with a gent by the name of Dave Brown, who uh, sadly passed away when Columbia broke up on reentry back many years ago but uh, so that's probably where that came out of sorry about yeah. that so yes thank you dave hamilton over at the backbeat media thank you to our new patron uh new call sign here fig come up with it quick uh, it's gonna be tough steve bates because <laughs> that's like call sign master <laughs> it's gotta be so thanks sorry, to steve. uh yeah <laughs> thanks, <laughs> sorry master. uh sorry about that yeah <laughs> So uh, thanks to Brad Silcott over at BDS. That's Bravo Delta Sierra AviationPhotography.com. He's given us some new photos to put up as the background on our website. We do have a merch store. So there was.us slash merch. And we also have a glossary where you can go and find ETP and ATC and all those sorts of things. And anything we mentioned that you didn't get, please let us know. And what we started asking for last week, if you've got a photo of you listening to this show in an unusual place, send it in. We'll get it up on the website. We have one from the top of Mount Fuji. That's going up this week. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Uh, there may be one other thank you we need to get out of the way, Fig. Can you think of any? We need to say thanks to uh, the guys that make the Air Force sound good. The Dose Gringos. Yeah, we do. That's right. Those guys. For letting us use their music and yeah. for, for being great artists. And not. Uh, I, I hear a pretty good F-16 pilot. In the honor of Oscar Brand. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's perfect stuff. So, until next week, everybody, stay safe and... Check six. See you here. There you go. (laughs) There I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. All the shit I was wearing on that day Now an F-16 is cramped enough But it's even worse With all that stuff supposed to save your life But we knew there was no way Cause when you're going down the North Atlantic Man, it's over 
Hold on now. What do you say, Fig? He said it's over. It's over. Well, I hope do not press means press right away. <laughs>